Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Sarah Stevens, the CTO and co-founder at Restless. Her own story is a distinctive one, which has seen her uproot herself geographically throughout her life. Sarah speaks in detail about the process of self-reinvention that accompanies each one of these shifts and she shares how she's realised that other needs besides her financial ones could be satisfied through work. Restless itself is a digital community for people in their 50s and 60s, with support on a range of topics including work and careers. As such, it's unsurprising that the impact and irrationality of ageism at work is one of the areas in which Sarah shares her insights during our discussion some of which many of us overlook. At the beginning, I was really money oriented. It's like, I'm going to go and work for a big bank because I'll get loads of money and I'll get loads of kudos. And it was ego and money and what have you and after and I stayed there for quite a while I went worked for a consultancy and then worked for a big bank I ended up on the side starting a side gig so I built a cocktail bar with my other half from scratch uh, yeah it was re- I, I fucking loved it and um it became TripAdvisor's number one nightlife attraction in Southampton Winchester and, and <laughs> Manchester wow. as well and I loved it and I think I was like oh my god I need to do something more like that um and I'd I'd moved to New York to work for the bank and there comes a point and it's what's it massive hierarchy of needs where you're like actually money isn't doing it for me anymore I need something more than that achievement goals self-actualization that type of thing it's interesting that the money pushed you in a an entrepreneurial direction that then ended up in something that was more than the money. No, it's also it's almost as if like the money got you off the ground, but then it got you into something that you were more interested in. Yeah, because it was like I got so frustrated with like just big corporate red tape and lack of progress and lack of seeing impact and output like I had loads of ideas I wanted to do and it was was constantly like oh no we can't because of this policy that policy or it's so slow in big corporate and I was like what can I do to learn more about the business and do something and 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 we just started this thing on the side I I loved it it was it was it, it was just I don't know, it also taught you that you don't have to know everything about business and a particular industry in order to start it. I think if you go deep into something, you need a subject matter expert. But in order to like get something up and running, you need a lot of grit and determination and drive. But you don't need to know everything. I wonder what other parts of life are, like what other examples there are where you, you follow a 
a kind of basic need that you've got like needing money and then you end up at a place where it's rewarding you for things that aren't what you actually intended in the first place yeah what you mean like yeah I don't know actually I feel very fortunate to be able to be able to do that because not a lot of people can I guess earn a decent amount of money and then be like oh actually I'll just leave that behind (laughs) and I'll go and do this other other thing it's a bit like cooking maybe you like you you could learn how you learn how to cook because you have to eat but then over time once you've satisfied your initial craving the cooking becomes some kind of art in itself like you said i guess because you've gone past the your your kind of your safety the safety part of the hierarchy and needs or whatever yeah there's that tangential effect i guess from it um I look, my, my cousin, this is just sort of weird, um, really tenuous link, but my cousin, she um, she was struggling a little bit with stress, and but she found that cleaning had this benefit of cleaning the house, but it de-stressed her as well, and it was one of these things that she used as almost like a, a way to kind of chill out and calm down. It's not for everyone, it, it wouldn't be for me. Well, yes, it's like the Jordan um, Peterson, like clean your, like make your own bed type thing before you get up in the morning yeah, and like, right. clean your own house before you like start criticising someone else's or it's exactly. almost like, like look after the basics type yeah. thing and, and the other bits will take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there just comes a point, I think you have to have those base level needs, like you say, that there's a, I think I was worked out oh, in order to have the things that I like, which I don't have a, lots of things, but I do like to go out for a meal now and again and enjoy times with friends. How much money do I need for that? And then you can start to layer on, okay, uh, these are the types of things, careers or things you can do that you'll have that money and still, um, I don't know, still fulfill a passion or a need. The thing is, those needs change over time as well. They're not fixed. They're not static. So whatever is is fulfilling that for me right now might not be what is doing that in five, ten years' time. They just change. One of the fascinating things for me about your background is that you go into banking, but then the you do something most people don't, and you then decide to do something with your life that really isn't that anymore but it's like almost if it almost feels like the opposite like helping people who aren't even working who are like coming to the end of their life and it's almost as if uh if you you kind of at the beginning of your career go into something to and you follow you follow money that gives you gets you into a place that means that you can then find something else it's almost as if like I wonder whether Restless could have even existed had you not gone into banking because you're at a point where at the end of your banking journey, you proactively want to do the opposite and do something good. And would that would that moment have existed without it? Um, so it kind of came about when I was uh, I was looking, I was looking for something with social impact. I was looking to come back to the UK after being in the States and uh i wanted that startup vibe for sh- that was definitely what i was looking for and I, I i got introduced to my co-founder and he kind of talked me through how society is shifting you know as you said we're, we're li- living for longer uh, we're actually younger for longer so the d- demographic we're f- 
we're largely focused on is 50 to 65. So I know, although you say it's kind of, though you mentioned towards the end of their life, they wouldn't see it like that. And they've still got potentially 50 more years. So how 50 year olds are currently viewed by by society is actually not what is happening in society. And they're not the same as the 20, the 50 year olds from 20 years ago. They're kind of like digitally native, they're active. Like if I look at my parents who are 60 and 62, my mum is training for a, a triathlon and my dad is training to do a hundred mile cycle. Like that's cool. And that's something to be look forward to and uh, sort of be inspired by. And those are, those people are just massively underserved because of the way that they're seen. And the other thing on the job side of things, there's a labour shortage. Un- unemployment rates are super low. We need to hire more people. The biggest demographic growth is in the over 50s. So we actually need them to be coming back into work and kind of adding continue to add value which they 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 really do could restless have existed without my journey probably um would would it have i don't know uh has my previous experience helped to build restless absolutely um i just got so much drive to do something good and uh, have an impact what challenges do people who are in that age demographic 50 to 65 have that you wouldn't expect when it comes to finding work there's clearly the obvious like technological challenge or getting towards the 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 kind of the the latter years of their career but what is less obvious that we don't recognize so I wouldn't also say that they're all te- not technologically advanced. I mean, of, of course, like anybody, like the people struggle. But I, I've seen my brother who is uh, a fantastic carpenter and not a very good technologist. And he is in his 30s. <laughs> so, there's definitely <laughs> swings and roundabouts there. But um I think they, they struggle, you might not realise, but you would think somebody with uh, a huge... um huge career or a lot of experience have been in the workplace for several years can massively lack confidence it, it, it's one of the number one things that you see in this audience because they get knocked back time and time again because ageism is rife within within the um within employment um they i've had so many like harrowing stories 200 applications submitted over a year and not even a response back kind of sorry not this time kind of thing um they and that that you can imagine how much that knocks your confidence so maybe you go from somebody that was a director somewhere but you kind of you thought actually I've finished up there I'm going to use my skills I'm going to do it somewhere else perhaps even something that's more flexible reduced hours slightly a step down from the seniority that they were at before and yet they're still not getting these these roles i know one of the things that really connected me with restless was my dad when he came another transition point he came out of the army around his 40s so not 50 but 40s and we still see some of it then and he um he he was trying to get work and um he had he had a degree in finance and was was well qualified 23 years in the army he went for a job that was probably a few um 
a, f- a few runs down from him, but he was really just looking to bring in money to the household. And he heard the standard stuff that people hear, which is, oh, you're overqualified. It's not going to be a job for you. Um, you probably won't stick around that long. When actually this demographic is some of the loyalist um, and long-standing people. That's another thing that people might not realise that... The over 50s tend to be um, more sticky. The retention rates are are higher, actually. Um, so it's not about having a full workforce of over 50s or under 50s. It's that, like, mm-hmm. diversity like, yeah. um, within the workforce. So Confidence I, is such a big part to it. And yeah. often we, uh, we, we completely breeze over it and we don't recognise it as the challenge that uh, it, we should recognise it as. When in your working journey have you felt the least confident? Oh, forever? Does that does that ever go away? I don't know. I don't know if that ever goes. Um, starting a business, but I just had no idea how to go about starting it. Um, I think uh, one of the things was um, one of them was trying to get into banking I, I spoke to recruiters and they were like absolutely not you're you didn't go to a red brick university you're you're not gonna be getting in there which is the the kind of classic story and and we so forget about this don't we like when you finish uni if you haven't gone to that red brick uni you look at your chances and you think or oh, what i i don't have a clue what i can do here it, and it 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 almost spurred me on in a way. I was like, all right, then, fine. Well, I will show you that I can do it. Especially having done a part-time degree, there is an element of snobbery a little bit that comes with that. It's like, well, why did you do it part-time? Um, is it is that degree that good compared to other ones that were done full-time? Um, so I ended up working for a consultancy that um, worked in banks and that was kind of like my right. my way in um, and then ended up being hired directly by by the bank anyway um, so that was probably a little bit uh, confidence knocking on on that side of things um, the tech industry in general can be a little bit harsh actually um, if you uh, <sighs> I don't know if you don't know this framework or that framework, or you don't know these principles or those principles. Like, it, it can be a bit cliquey um, and trying to break into that. And I've got a lot of great mentors and friends that are a fantastic technologists and have really looked after me. So I've been very, very lucky, but I have seen that um, where there can be tech cliqueyness. I'm sure it exists in finance and loads of other industries as well. But that can also... Uh, knock your confidence when there's very loud voices um, that have very firm opinions um yeah but it's like sometimes yeah starting starting the side gig that we started that was uh, a confidence booster and a like at times a confidence destroyer <laughs> it's like i don't know what i'm doing it's funny how the two come in hand in hand. That yeah. On the one hand, the things that you do to build confidence are also the things that can knock it down. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, I, I, when we, because we did an opening evening, and I was just like convinced that like no one would turn up and it would be an absolute disaster, and just sort of just dreading a bit like having a birthday party inviting a bunch of people, no one turn it up, but you've actually put money like lots of money into it. Um, so yeah, I that but then once it's done, you're like you gain a little bit more confidence and you kind of push yourselves through these 
tough tough sort of situations in order to build that confidence I think if you suffer from imposter syndrome or I know some people don't actually like um, to talk about it, it, imposter syndrome they say it might more as a a signal of change when you're feeling a bit uh, unconfident or um, like you don't fit, uh, you're questioning yourself. It It is a sign of change and that you're actually going through a growth period and maybe understanding and recognise those moments of unconfidence or imposter syndrome as actually out, out of the end of that will come something positive. When you take the decision to try and booster your confidence by doing something that you don't know how to do or you um you you take a leap out into the unknown to try and move things in 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 a certain direction i guess you need to know where you're headed and why you're why you're headed there and and where you want to go when you've made those decisions so let's if you were to take for example like the brigand mix and you you deciding to do it to what level of clarity have you understood why you're doing it um i think it's probably a surface level clarity it's not like i don't spend loads of time doing deep analysis on stuff because i like to learn by doing and getting my hands dirty and figuring it part of the fun for me is figuring it out along the way and challenging myself I think with that, the end goal was um, kind of get the experience that you would get on an MBA kind of, but a fraction of the cost, um, get real practical experience, build some of that um, startup experience. Because there was always an idea of maybe banking isn't for me and maybe I want to do something else. So what can I bolt on to the side in order to showcase those skills to somebody else that I may want to engage with in the next three, four, five years. So there is that long-term high-level view. It's not a like spec-out plan that we're whiteboarding and we're documenting, but there is definitely that purposeful, I think I want to do something a bit for myself, maybe in the startup. What skills do I need? Let's go and do those. You can gain them multiple different ways. MBA just was so expensive and... um, what wasn't going to give me the financial gain and all the experience out of the back of it. And that's not me bashing MBAs. My partner has an MBA. Um, He will tell everyone about it. Um, But I think, um, yeah, maybe it's more than a surface level plan. Maybe I'm doing a bit of a disservice. There's... This is the hard thing as well because it, it 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 you want to not think that there was a really clear plan and that you kind of just went with it. But is that really the case? Like if you if you really dig into it, there was there really nothing underneath there that you were really clear where you wanted to head. Um, yeah, there probably was a lot more. Again, not not written down purposefully, but the, if I look back on the things I was talking about, the things I was doing, I was already building my network at 19. So I had this view of I knew that was important and I'm still benefiting from my network today in, in my mid-30s. So something new that something in me knew that that was going to be important long-term. When I decided to do bring a mix I knew that I needed those skills for something that I was going to want to do in the future when I moved out to the states like that I'd actually been pushing for for two years 
And I wanted to move out there to get an experience of a different country, living in a different country, grow those skills of being independent, trying to build yourself as a new person, which is essentially what you have to do because you don't really exist. Um, so, yeah, you're probably right. On reflection, there is a very purposeful, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. When you said you, you, you didn't really exist, that that's really interesting because you, you, you're... So what you're effectively saying there is that you have proactively put yourself in a circumstance where you have to rebuild your own sense of self why <laughs> why is a great question i i why did i do that i think part of it's looking for that self-actualization like what experience can i go through and what things can i do in my life which give me all of these different ex i really love different experiences whether they be good or bad i just think you learn stuff from it and you become a more rounded person more interesting person you meet just a, a much wider range of people um and so rebuilding my life out there felt like one my parents had always moved around with the army so they it's kind of part of what I'd done previously anyway so maybe there was a hankering around to that a little bit um but having to almost go and do it for myself like what is that like um could can I do it? Yeah, you know, am I capable of doing something like that? Is that something I want to do more of? Do I like moving countries, and do I like sort of yeah moving to different um, locations where I where I work, and then just experiencing the world that way, or do I want to be home based and and moving out there? So kind of learning a little bit more about myself along the way, and I went out there, and it was it was great. It was a fantastic experience. I learned loads more on the job. I made some really good friends. Um, I traveled a lot more of the States than I probably ever would have if I'd just uh, stayed uh, in the UK. But I learned that I love my friends and family and that I don't want to live away from them forevermore because I, it's, it was just too much for me. Um, so that, it, it I learned something about me in that in that whole experience. Fascinating. There's my my dad does uh like TV interviews for a living and I when I first started doing this podcast, I somehow like I don't know, it's like silently I guess I kind of thought of him and in doing it like I feel closer to him in a way and I feel like I I can we can I can relate to more of the experiences that he's been through and hearing you talk about you moving around more as a kid maybe because your dad's in the army yeah and both of my parents were in the really? army. go mum yeah I love it <laughs> you're you must feel so much closer to both of them in mm. a way it's almost like you're subconsciously deciding I'm going to take my own route here and I'm, I'm in banking. I'm not in the army, yeah. but I'm in some way going to be closer to you because I'm going to travel in the same way you did. Although you'd yeah. never actually say that out loud. Yeah, for sure. Understanding what, I, I guess my mum particularly, because she, at that point she, would, she wasn't allowed in the army because she felt pregnant with me and that you were no longer allowed to be in the army if that was the case. Well, they just chuck you out, do they? Yeah, they, they don't now. They don't now. Not definitely right. not allowed right. now. But at the time it was like, oh, well, that's naughty. Off you go. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so, yeah, for sure. Like just that whole 
And they would uplift often every one and a half to two and a half years. They would have to uproot. So I was born in Hong Kong. Um, we went to Singapore. We lived in Germany. We went to Brunei, Cyprus, multiple places in the UK. New York? So not New York. They mm. were in the States. I know. I just really like sticking that one to them <laughs> okay um, so i had to need something i had to do something different um but just having to uproot and they had a family so i was at least just me uh having to uproot uh pack everything up move away one of the hardest things to do is build a, a support network around yourself when you move to a different country uh, and it gets harder and harder as you get older so i my dad at least had work, whereas my mum didn't. She just had me and my brother most of the time, which I imagine was incredibly difficult um, because she just had to make new friends every single time that she was kind of dropped into these uh, situations. Um, and I, I, I felt that when I was in the States because I moved, I moved there when I was uh, just turning 30. And I think by that time, a lot of people have either got their own families or they've got their friendship circle. And it's not that they don't want to engage with you. They simply don't have the time for their own friends and family. So making a new friend is, is not really on the list of priorities for them. Um, so I really, I really got a level of appreciation for that uprooting um that they had to go through and that resettling every time there's things you learn <clears throat> there's definitely things you learn from that how to engage with people quickly and create connections and bonds with people when you uh, don't have a lot of time um and also to be able to say goodbye to to people because you then have to leave um at, at the end of it and that's that can be hard um so yeah you're right there was definitely an element of being able to understand them better and what they went through, um, for sure. As, as a society, we spend uh, a lot of time talking about how to enter into things and how to kind of courageously throw ourselves into situations that are challenging. But we spend less time talking about how to say goodbye and what saying goodbye means and how to get really good at saying goodbye for sure if you've, if you've put yourself in so many of those new new places where you've had to say goodbye more often than perhaps other people would what 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 have you learned about saying goodbye that you now use each time you do it and you um i think you it's not just people you say goodbye to either it's like uh a lifestyle perhaps or um a setting um a pet whatever it is um i think having an appreciation for what that relationship or uh location or setting gave you helps like i really enjoyed x y and z from this and i learned these things from it as well um there is an element if i look at when i was in the states of having a certain if if you know you're going to be going you do put an element of uh, a, a breaker in there in some way um which i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing um, what do you mean like almost a a bit of 
not too too deep into a, a connection i guess uh, particularly with personal relationships which probably like a, you got like a, a safety pool string or something oh, just like um I, I don't know how how to describe it like I'm very transparent and very open person. I've never had to hide anything about me, but I guess feeling that really deep, true connection, you kind of might not allow it to get to that point um, in order to make those goodbyes a little bit easier. If you know that's what's coming at the end, almost giving yourself a little bit of that preparation because you know at some point um, that you're going to have to say... That sounds good and bad. Yes. <laughs> it's not good because maybe you miss out on something of the relationship because you're not allowing that truly deep connection. Um, but it, if you know that you're going to have to go at some point, maybe it's it makes it that bit easier. Um yeah, I don't know if that's... <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend that to anyone. That's probably one of my coping mechanisms. Yeah. And if it, if you're saying goodbye to things like a skill, for example, then that's hard. You, that's that's really hard, and it's but 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 it's it's also even more challenging if you weren't clear whether you wanted to put a safety valve on that or not, because I can imagine that being really dangerous. That actually, if you're it, it could it, I understand from a, like a personal point of view where you might want to go, not go all in on a relationship. But if you're like learning a skill or something and you're like, oh, well, actually, I might not really love this skill or I might have yeah. to say goodbye to this skill at some point. So I'm not going to put everything into it. Like that feels like that works in the opposite direction. Yeah. If I think about skills, I do I put that pull cord in that? I probably don't. Actually, I'll probably throw myself into it knowing that I will if I have to get rid of that skill. I've actually had to come to terms with a lot moving into the role that I have now, kind of letting go of some of those coding skills, those deep technical skills. Um, and is that, that's scary because that, is that good for me? Like future wise, is that good for my career? What if this doesn't work out? Or what if at some point I just decide to stop doing it? Where does that leave me um, with my future career? So... I've had to get really comfortable with saying, and that's not nice because uh, I'm always tend to be questioning it. But then giving yourself some reassurance about the things that you have learned and that you can go back if you really want to. You can go back. You're capable of learning that skill again. You're capable of dusting it, dusting it off, and um, picking it back up. It's just whether you actually want to go back to that, um, and maybe like I said, appreciating what you gained from it and what you took away from it and applying that some in some other way that's probably how i i think about it in a skills turn it's an interesting and very terrifying moment when you're starting out uh, especially when you're starting a company and you 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 kind of know that the this really depends on the company's success here as to what i should choose because if you are going to come out of that hard skill then you've got to be pretty sure that the company's going to work because if it doesn't, then you're in trouble. But then you're in a chicken and egg scenario where it's like you don't, you can't, in order to make the company successful <laughs> and moving on to that point, you have to let go and go and do it. <laughs> so you, you've got to, you, 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 how on earth do you make that decision? Like you've, you've got to, you've got to make a call with a real lack of information there. Yeah. 
I think some of it is some of it is trusting in yourself that whatever the outcome is, you will make it work um, somehow. As long as bearing in mind that there's underlying financial commitments and things like that that you have to make sure are attended to. Like when I look at the jump that I made um, for Restless. I I looked at my worst case scenario and I said, actually, what is that? I think I could still, worst case scenario, I think I could still get a job at X salary, which meant we could still afford to live in this place uh, and eat whatever we were happy eating um, and have our base level needs done. So I think that's how I actually got comfortable with it. I was like, even if it's not a success, because you do, you almost like it needs to be a success, but does it if the worst level outcome is is actually not that bad and even if I'm very fortunate that I could probably fall back on my parents and stay in their spare room for six months um whilst I figured out what what the job was next but then it's also a level of probability so it's all risk measurements what's the probability of that actually happening for someone like me with my pre my skill set uh, and and the job market, you can't predict what the job market is going to be like, um, but you can kind of gauge what industry you're in, what skill sets you have, what the minimum financial needs would would be to support your lifestyle. So I think that gives you comfort in a way. In order to make that risk decision, you've got to you've got to have a decent idea of what your limits are as an individual, and you're you're essentially betting that you will be regardless of what's happening outside of your your control you're betting that you will be able to perform at x level and if certain things go according to plan then you'll be able to get there but it we spend a lot of time with talking about how to assess risk on the one hand but we'd spend less time talking about how do you assess your own limitations because there's a, almost a stigma attached with that it's like, well, even by measuring your own limitations, you accept that there are some. Um, in terms of like what you're capable of doing and where you kind of cap out, like I'm, I'm not going to be, uh, <laughs> although an opening's just uh, come up, uh, the the prime minister of uh, <laughs> the country, right? That's that's definitely a limitation for me. Um, do it- but how do you know? Well, and that is the other thing. Once you start putting in those caps, you're almost, you're putting in caps for yourself and there are enough people out there that will put those caps in for you. So if you start putting in those, I think it's just not a very, it's just not a very strong place to be coming from. But if you don't do it deliberately, you're going to, you're going to, someone's going to do it for you, aren't they? Because when you make that risk decision, you've got to work out what you can potentially do. So you're going to make it either subconsciously or someone's going to do it for you. I think it depends where you're starting from. If you're looking at your worst case scenario, you say, well, actually, at worst case, what am I capable of? Like, let's for example say well I'm definitely not good at being a chef but I could I could do cleaning I think I could do that like and and the money that that earns am I happy with that right okay let's take that as your base level then maybe you take it up a few notches could I be a junior engineer I'm fairly confident that I could dust off some skills and be a junior engineer and junior engineers are getting paid somewhere like really junior 30 to 40k well 
that that sounds okay for me. It's interesting that you change it from a from a limit to a to a minimum. Yeah. I think it's probably it was easier for me to look at what's my, my minimum base and what's the job role I would need for that. Um and do I think that I'm capable of that? It's just flipping it, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. If you were to look at the other side of the equation, so once you've figured out what you think your minimum threshold is for the skills that you're capable of, you then need to make a decision about whether you are willing to take this risk. So for example, and I mean, the best scenario for you is is leaving Credit Suisse and then, and then starting Restless. It's like, well, okay, on the one hand, do I feel like I am capable of doing this new job and creating this company but on the other hand even if i am capable of doing x am i is this risk profile the right one for me at this point in time how did you go through that decision that is a great question because i i I don't know whether i would take the same risk say in three years time i probably i probably wouldn't actually timing was a lot for me like being sort of early early 30s moving back uh to the uk having had some experience in the startup world being confident that i could be scrappy around things um having a bit of a financial nest egg um understanding um i had a flat at the time and i could rent out a couple of rooms if i needed extra income so there was a lot of analysis that was going into can I afford to make the jump um is and and that almost is is another reason why I did make the jump at that time because all of those variables for me made it not low risk and starting a business is definitely not low risk but as a, a comfortable risk level for me um and i felt that the skills that i would gain in going through that journey would actually make me more employable um having because i i should probably mention that previously before i decided to um go through i was looking at like big tech firms is that something i wanted to do maybe i wanted to go more into product and i did speak to facebook and they just didn't even get really through to interview round one they were like you need more b2c experience so i was like well okay that's if if that is something that is also on my path or something that i want to look at in the future that would be part of the journey that i would get with starting uh, a startup and leading it um in terms of measuring the risk of whether i could do it or not um that's scary uh, had no idea, uh, no experience of being a CTO um, or a technology leader, but in a big corporate, it's very, very different to being uh, in, a, in a startup setting. I remember him speaking to uh, a recruiter that uh, recruits technical leaders, sort of VPs of engineering, CTOs, and he's him saying to me, you know, you might not be uh, the CTO that takes a company to where it is. Often CTOs will kind of cap out um, or they won't be able to grow with the company and you just need to get it's quite direct you just need to get comfortable with that because that might be you um, and if that is part of the journey as long as I can make sure that along the way I'm learning something new I'm taking skills that will that I can, that can be value add for wherever it takes me next um that for me that was only a positive thing but i did have all of those bases that financial uh health um 
food on the table, all of those that had to be there for me to me to for me to make that leap. And I think for a lot of people, um, and I didn't have to invest my own money either. So I, for some people that are, are working full time job, two two jobs, it's really hard to make that leap because they can't afford to sacrifice that income. They don't have the safety net that I was fortunate to have. Um, so yeah, I guess that's how I measured it. Well, we started off talking about the hierarchy of needs and that's almost as if the higher up that that pyramid you get, the more able you are to take different types of risk at, uh, at different points. As you go up that pyramid, you're, what you're optimising for also sounds like it's, it's changing. At the beginning, it's money and then it... it it, it develops but it's not as simple as well i i was looking for my survival right at the beginning and now i'm going to try and change the world at the end everyone has their as their own path what are you optimizing for now um right now um optimizing for a, it sounds so cheesy um a sense of purpose impact and achievement that that kind of thing I, i'm almost certain i wouldn't be doing uh what i'm doing if it, if it wasn't that because there are plenty of easier things that uh i could be doing that are less less taxing that's interesting that you can work it out by doing <laughs> that by saying actually i i know i would be doing all of these uh, it would be very clear to me that i'd be doing all of these other things <laughs> But actually, uh, the way that I can work out what I am optimising for is working out what I'm saying no to in order to carry on doing this. Um, It's it's got to be that. And and just, I guess, an internal sense. I just want to achieve something and do do something good. Um, There's probably a a little bit... I've talked to my friend about this before, a little bit of... um, element of like leaving some kind of legacy behind a little bit I think people like to have the idea that when they're dead and gone and sort of a few generations um ahead that what they leave behind will be useful and, and they won't be forgotten kind of thing there's there's part of that for me um yeah it would be nice to leave something beneficial and uh memorable behind um, which sounds a bit morbid, I know, but that's probably what part of a driver is, leaving some form of legacy without sounding too egocentric, probably. I <laughs> mm. wonder where that comes from for you. There's, I, I've done a little bit of reflecting on that. It's, pro- it's, 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 it's probably deep-rooted. It's probably back from a sense of, not achieving enough when I could have when I was younger. There's but there's definitely part of it there. Um, I really had a. I was doing really well at school, and then I just for for various different reasons kind of stopped doing doing very well and stopped achieving and just disappointed what happened? <laughs> So it was kind of I think and and then it started to be more more people sort of saying. Well, you you know that that's why I don't like caps. Or well, you you probably can't do this, or you can't do that, or you can't. And I and I hate, I really hate when people say you can't do this or you can't do that, or you're not capable of doing it. And so that's part of what drives me is 
almost showing that I, to myself as well as anybody else, like I actually I can do that. I am capable of it. Um, this is a small example. My dad saying I was, was really wasn't doing very well at college, and <laughs> he said, "Well, I bet you can't even get this job." And it was like this really simple job, and I just didn't want it. But I just took <laughs> took the took the application form, filled it in, got the job. Did not stay there for very long, <laughs> but it was almost that like I can get that job. <laughs> I definitely can. Maybe he was using reverse psychology on me and trying to teach me a lesson. I don't know. <laughs> I think what I've loved most from our conversation is learning at what points you've you've almost used an energy that exists to move you in a direction and that energy could have been used for something negative but you instead used it for something positive uh in the same way that like you you start off your career by going into something to do with money but it's now completely changed and you're you're doing something that's that's the complete opposite and it's having a, a great impact on society in the same way that your dad gives you a a, a job to take and, and, and challenges you to do it and in any other circumstance you might look at that and be like i'm no i'm, I'm not going to do that uh, like or i'm going to feel like belittled by it and instead you you go the opposite and um whatever conditions somehow mean that in each one of those scenarios when you're presented with that moment of difficulty you choose the light path rather than the dark path like that's amazing it makes life much more interesting right i just if you if you look i really positive thinking really does impact outcome not cheesy positive thinking right not unrealistic positive thinking because that's too much for anyone no one wants that we're british <laughs> let's not be happy clapping too far but if you can and I, something i learn more and more of this if you can message something and position something in a more positive way you'll end up happier other people around you will end up happier and the outcome will be more positive but it, it's very stoic like the like the obstacle is the way the the things that are hardest are gifts like the the this, there is no uh pleasure without pain it's almost as if we ha this is the route to any kind of positivity it, it doesn't just appear out of nowhere it's it's the equal and opposite reaction to something else and by leaning into the like by by in each one of those kind of moments in your life that have been more challenging you lean into it and you use it you see those as opportunities you you, you don't see them as problems you see them as chances then it it becomes different because you get that sense of that that high that hit of achievement that yeah just realization um it it just it, it feeds you i guess it feeds you with um with a yeah a positive energy it's going to be quite fun maybe it'll get tiring at some point <laughs> i kind of like maybe. it right now <laughs> this has been fun yeah i've really enjoyed chatting i love this great to chat i hope you have a wonderful evening and rest of the week you too. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Sarah. The Best Work podcast is produced by the team at Cord. 
I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.